0: Hi, this is Sarah Tebow, And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the SideWoo podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the SideWoo. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the SideWoo. You may have noticed that we are releasing this on an off week, and I'm Excited and a little nervous to say that we are upgrading the SideWoo to a weekly podcast. That's right. More ghost stories, more mental health confessions, and more talks about life as a sensitive, creative person every week, Thursdays, released at midnight Pacific time. So really excited about that. Before I introduce today's episode, I wanted to also announce the release of my new blog/slash Substack called Art Date. And it is a once or twice weekly newsletter and blog about art making, belonging, living in Los Angeles, finding inspiration, you know, wherever it comes, and all delivered around lunchtime here in California. Maybe dinner if you're one of our fabulous Greenwich meantime listeners. The name of the blog is inspired by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist Way, and the art date, or the Artist date, was part of her weekly prescription to stay inspired and in the flow, and you basically did an art date to kind of take you out of your normal routine and do something exciting and inspiring and fun. Um, So I'm hoping that this newsletter will be that, but also, um, you know, kind of unpacking The things around inspiration that keep us from, you know, making work and being inspired or kind of get in the way. I will send one post about things in general and then one post every Thursday when we release a new episode. So if you want to get those, you just have to sign up. It will be free. There is a paid subscription of $5 a month that will get you access to other things like paid content, live events, once I kind of get that going and other goodies. So, you know, or if you just want to contribute. Well, okay, enough of that. On to the podcast. This week, I talk with Rebecca Goldstein, an artist and the founder of The Painting Salon, a former Bay Area lecture series that I ended up hosting. Some of you may be familiar, but she founded it in her living room. Um, She is a CCA MFA grad, a painter, sculptor, mother, We talk about how motherhood transformed her work when she moved from working in rectangle canvases to more shaped stretcher bars and how that reflected the way that her body was changing and her relationship to this new role as a mother. The conversation was recorded originally as a live Zoom call with guests in the call, so it's a little bit different of a format. I originally recorded it because I thought I was going to be starting a new podcast with my Substack called Art Date. And then I realized how extra that was to do that. And, you know, don't want to waste this p- conversation by not sharing it. So I'm going to share it as part of the side woo. But, you know, we don't talk about her sun sign, which is too bad because her Capricorn sun is definitely the little engine behind her beautiful work and, you know, her ability to kind of power through her studio practice despite having other demands on her time so anyway really excited about the episode if you enjoy our podcast feel free to subscribe rate review and share the side woo with your friends you can email us at thesidewoo at gmail.com and follow us on instagram for updates at thesidewoo um thank you for listening and enjoy the episode kick things off we could just talk about you're in your studio right now for those who are listening only but um what are you working on now what's the state of the union in your yeah studio? so it's
1: right now everything in my studio is in progress which is kind of my favorite place to be when like also awesome. have a whole new body of paintings um I'm working on i keep looking over my shoulder as if they're so to chime in and say something
0: yeah, they're like oh i got things to say." <laughs> <Yeah, stay." okay. laughs>
1: um i've been doing in the shaped paintings i've started doing multiples of shapes mm. so rather than having each painting so having the same shape across multiple paintings oh i see instead um, of doing
0: a totally different shape yeah totally different painting. yeah but that it'll awesome. be a completely really
1: different painting but the same shape oh, i um, love that yeah, which has been a really interesting way to work, and it's really, it's funny because I've um, the shape of the painting seems to dictate so much of what the imagery is going to be. Yeah. But then, it's really interesting to see how I'm having two very different paintings that are like, you know, having very different resolutions, despite the fact that they have the same, the same. Well, and
0: it's interesting because I always forget that you can kind of make the same painting again or yes <laughs> and I think you do work in series but I love this idea of not having to reinvent the wheel completely in yeah. every aspect of your work for every single painting which yes. it yeah. feels like cheating but I'm so many I'm like no it's it. actually really
1: not at all and I was <laughs> oh my god how am I going to think of more shapes and it was you know, like there's only so many shapes in this world shapes <laughs> <laughs> I could think of um yeah and it was kind of like oh it would be really Interesting to see the same shape over, um, over and over. And I was thinking about Andy Warhol's Shadows, that oh, big okay. installation where it's like, it's a very um, he has two compositions, but it's repeated mm. over and over through different color combinations. Um.
0: Oh, cool. I am not familiar yeah. with that. Actually, um, is would that be one of his prints or? Yeah, I think they're silkscreens, but they're painted on um, as well. Right. Yeah. And they're just of shadows or? Yeah. So they're super abstract. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, he's definitely the king of repetition. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and
1: um, there was, I think it was,
0: gosh, I don't remember what year it was. They were
1: all up in maybe 2015 at the MoCA in LA.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and it was just a gigantic room just lined with, and they were like installed. So they were touching
0: Oh, nice! Yeah, Yeah, I feel like I saw he had a retrospective, maybe even at the SFOMA, where it was they got a number of his silver screen paintings. Where I don't know if it was Elvis or there was some other thing, and there were so many of them all next to each other. And I felt like that was the best way to see his work because it's so much about the still, you know, the film still. Yeah, absolutely. And watching how each one shifts and
1: yeah. Um, You know, and I feel like I could repeat in the rectangular paintings. I feel totally fine with repeating a shape or a form across a painting. So why not have that repeat for the structure of the painting itself, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, and even writers, as you were saying that, writers do that all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They pull from themselves to look. Yes. Yeah. I've
1: been thinking a lot about repetition. And I've also started doing some rectangular paintings again. Oh wow. which has been really exciting and for a while after doing the shaped paintings or while doing the shaped paintings initially I was like I don't think I could do a rectangular painting again it would feel so limiting mm-hmm. and I was really interested to see that it actually felt the opposite it feels really expansive mm-hmm. um, and you know while the because the shaped ones are so, the form is so specific. And because the image feels like it needs to respond to the form. Yeah. On the rectangular ones, it feels like
0: I could paint anything. Right. And, and that then, feels maybe really you could find, <laughs> No, I'm sure. Could yeah. you maybe just share for people who aren't familiar yeah. why you started doing the shaped work and when? And yeah. how you're thinking yeah. about it now. Um, So I started
1: doing shaped paintings in
0: 2000. Um,
1: 2017. And I had just had my first child. And I think there was something just the shift of having a kid and having my life change so completely. I think the idea of shaped paintings had been kind of on the back burner in my mind in a while. And I had been making sculptures that sort of looked like um, objects pulled from my paintings. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about moving back and forth between three and two dimensions and the transformations that happen. And I had been curious about what was maybe
0: the space in between
1: the sculpture and the rectangular painting.
0: Um, But then I think Um, you've said, I don't want to like speak for you, but you've also said something about how your own body. Oh
1: yeah. And then, so that had been in the back burner. And then once I had, um, once Sadie was born, it was this kind of like, I can't, make a square painting. I just needed something completely different. And I think like it just felt like after, you know, nine months of pregnancy and my own body transforming and all the kind of transformation that happens with having a kid and childbirth, it just felt like the rectangular canvas was not making sense to me anymore. And I needed to see sort of this shift and metamorphosis in the paintings themselves. And I needed each painting to kind of take its own specific form and be its own specific shape.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, if you are going to draw a parallel between the, the traditional canvas shape and the human body, it's fine to have the one shape your entire life if you're not for example, if you're a man, your body isn't going to change as yeah. much as a woman's, giving yeah. birth, you know? And so yeah. it, I love this analogy between the female form going through the stages of pregnancy and literally expanding and contracting the sides of the painting to kind of mimic that alteration that happens. And um, yeah, and yeah. kind of just that particularities and like specificness of form. Yeah. Like it's awkward and I'm yeah. so, like, I've heard uncomfortable and just, yeah.
1: And then I, you know, after I had, um, my kids and I would bring both of my, I have two kids now and I would bring both of them as babies and infants to the studio with me. And I would paint with them in the baby carrier strap to me. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. That's wild. Um,
1: and I was kind of thinking about all of a sudden there became this sort of like metaphor of my body as the armature, like mm-hmm. or another human being. Um, yeah. And I was almost thinking about, you know, cause my son liked to sleep super tightly wrapped to me, almost like my body, like the stretcher bar and him like the canvas, or just this kind of idea of wrapping and the body as an armature.
0: Yeah. We were going to Talk about this later, but I actually think it's more relevant now. This idea of a force majeure or, you know, some kind of act of yeah. God <laughs> happening in your life, yeah. totally transforming your work, which yeah. I think has happened for you. I think it, it kind of happens for me every five years or so, um, you know, whether or not I choose it. And just this idea that an artist's career is so many things so to expect an artist to do the one thing without regard for external forces acting upon their studio practice is so unrealistic I don't know if you can speak to that at all with transitioning into new work and maybe we're more accepting now but I don't know do you feel like your vision of what you expect for your work and yourself has changed since grad school Around that idea Um, of what the market demand will allow and what you need to do to fit as an artist.
1: I guess, I think, you know, the shape paintings was kind of by far the most drastic shift that I've had in my work. And I didn't, I knew it was a drastic shift, but I guess I hadn't really thought about it as like, it made so much sense to me. And yeah. it seemed so logical over looking at my work over a long period of time and the work I had been making that it seemed like it was just sort of part of this trajectory. It definitely felt very new and fresh and exciting and it still does. But I hadn't been like, oh, I'm making totally different work now as if I had switched to like video or something. It, um,
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I-
1: other people viewed it that way. And um, it, you know... I think the shaped paintings, just from a market perspective, are much harder to sell. And I think there's always market-wise, when you do something different, it takes sort of either like your collectors or the market a little while to catch up with whatever the shift was. And I hadn't really thought about that. And I think it's good that that's not what I'm thinking about in the studio during when I'm making work. But um, yeah, that was definitely an unforeseen seeing consequence not consequence but yeah
0: yeah oh that's so interesting yeah I wouldn't have guessed it i I almost would have thought they would do better because they're so they're more conceptual than your yeah. rectangular pieces and they reflected this really special time in your life you know that to me that's very meaningful but I mean I guess I'm not thinking you know the average collector yeah whoever. and Now thinking about moving back towards or having more openness about, oh, I can work on a rectangle. And, you know, what has that shift been for you in terms of what it means to work in that format versus the shaped pieces? Yeah,
1: I have both going on in the studio now and it's really kind of fun to go back and forth. I feel like it makes, it definitely feels... I think at first trying to figure out how to make the shaped canvases, it just took all of my attention to figure out how I was going to deal with this form. And now that I sort of have some strategies under my belt, I could switch gears because it really does feel like switching a mind space and how I'm dealing with. Yeah. I could see that. Also, recently. shout out
0: to your stretcher bar
1: guy. <laughs> oh, yes. I have an amazing stretcher bar guy named Charlie who's like, yeah, I can build anything you want. Yeah. <laughs> um The rectangular ones feel much more, um, like I said, kind of like I could paint anything on them if I wanted to just like paint a traditional landscape on the same size stretcher bar I could. So it's how do I fit this imagery into this form? And I think in some ways it has made me think about the edges of the rectangular, Mm. the, the edges of the rectangle more, even though I was always kind of interested in like the image pushing and pulling up against the edge I feel that
0: yeah you're now aware of it as an object in a way that yeah granted or something yeah yeah.
1: the image really needs to somehow include the form of the stretcher bar and push up against it and maybe before where it felt like maybe the painting was like a smaller section of a wider expanse Mm. now it feels like everything that is going on is happening within the frame and there's no sort of things pushing off the frame. Mm-hmm. Everything is contained in the rectangle.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And do you feel like that relates to your body in a way, or is that um, maybe Ooh, the that's next a really good thing. question. Um,
1: I don't know if it relates to my body as much as my mental space that when I'm in the studio, because the time is generally short, I feel like I have to be so super focused mm-hmm. i try and turn my phone off i try and just yeah i'm not doing emails i'm just here in the studio and everything that's happening needs to take place now <laughs> so maybe
0: that has to do with the, uh, with the um that makes sense yeah um, like that's your headspace and then the not to yeah make you lock down a meeting around it but then yeah the other pieces are more about your shifting relationship to your body and yeah you know. um I do feel like your paintings in the past before you started working on the shaped canvases were kind of about this mental, this like conversation you were having with yourself or people or songs. And it was all very like kind of energetic and cerebral.
1: Yes. Yeah. I feel right. <laughs> I, love- I really like that um description energetic and cerebral i like that
0: yeah <laughs> like know? it was all kind of going on inside you and yeah. we were given a window into it yeah and sometimes there were people in there but in the way that there would be a thought you know not something yeah. that was really obvious i
1: think and i think the shape paintings were maybe an attempt to want the painting to be more specific and direct mm-hmm. i think i think they are more specific and direct this and they feel more object in a yeah, way. for sure. Um, I think just formally in the other rectangular ones, there was this push and pull between figure and ground. And I think people saw really different things in the painting depending on how they were viewing that figure-ground interaction. Right. And I think in the shaped paintings, there's less of that because it feels like this kind of specific, direct, object and it's harder to kind of have even though people are going to interpret it differently there's something undeniable about this shape and this thing yeah and i think maybe i'm searching for a similar directness in in, in the rectangular the ones now too even though the rectangular ones it does feel like there's maybe i think the shape ones will always feel more like an object and the rectangular ones will always feel more a traditional kind of like illusion, illusionistic space. and
0: Yeah. I think it's hard to get around that, even if you're making the most abstract pieces, you know, minimalist where they're supposed to reflect your body in some way. But I think even so, just hanging a rectangle on the wall, it's hard to get around that. Yeah. Not that you should. Yeah. Like that's part of the meaning, I guess. It's part, yeah. It kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. Well, I wanted to make sure we had, had a chance to talk about um, the painting salon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You posted this lecture series out of your living room. And and then in a couple of years later, I took it over and then, you know, had help of other people and then I handed it off. So maybe you can just talk about the impetus for it and what it was in its first iteration. And
1: yeah. So the summer after I graduated from the MFA program. After a series of rejections from applications of things I had applied for, I felt like I needed to somehow take initiative and not be looking for other people's approval.
0: To oh my god, that is huge! Yeah, no, that so is a hundred percent.
1: I needed to do something that didn't take somebody else being you're
0: a good enough artist
1: or yes, you deserve this award. That I wanted to create something by myself, and with the people who were around me, whose work that I loved, and um that it didn't need to be something I applied for. you yeah. know. When I graduated, I was feeling like I was just sort of getting my feet under me in terms of the work I wanted to be making and the conversations that I wanted to be having about my work. And I felt like a lot of my peers sort of felt similarly and like these relationships and artistic conversations were just getting started. It felt more
0: like a beginning than an end. And yeah, I- only know how to talk about your work once you leave grad school. Yes. Like, grad school, you're like, I don't know my ass or my elbow. So how yeah. do I talk about my I work? A, yeah, know?
1: I had no idea how to talk about my work in grad school. And I don't think anybody really does know how to talk. It's not about enough time. time. Yeah, it's not enough time. You're making so much work. You're There's just so much going on that you don't have enough time to kind of sit with your work and Absolutely. think about what it's about. And I think there's also so much art too talk about your work in certain ways, or it ends up feeling directed because of other conversations that are going on. So I also just wanted a space for people to talk about their work and maybe a little more casually than, or a lot more casually than we would if there was a critique going on. What is the actual things that you're thinking about when you're in your studio? Um, I had actually also right after grad school, I did an artist residency program at the Atlantic Center for the Arts. And it was just, there were eight other painters there and there was just such a great vibe there. And, and Greenbaum was, was the, going, um, I just found it so easy to talk about my work in a completely different way than I had been in grad school. Um, I was like, oh, I feel like I need to just like be more honest about what I'm thinking about when yeah. I'm in the studio. Um, so anyway, so with all that in mind, I just decided to do a monthly salon style meeting in my living room where we set up a projector and two people would present their work and there was just wine and snacks and i invited the people kind of the cohort of um from our mfa program and other artists that i knew from the bay area and two people would present their work and we would just talk and hang out and i remember the first painting salon um some people stayed over after and we just hung out in my living room and drank wine till two in the morning and talked about art and life and it was just such an amazing um it was just such an amazing night and I was like oh my god I want to do this all the time so yeah. and I feel like that was kind of everyone's experience especially at first look from the painting salon was like oh my gosh That's this nice. is so much fun I want to have these conversations all the time um, well and
0: I think there's something to also, I mean, not to be so careerist about it, but like there's different ways to kind of develop a career and a community for yourself. And one of them is to kind of do the thing you didn't do, which is align yourself with people who are more established and chase after something that you see as above you. And the other one that I feel like has worked better for me and that I feel like that you've showed me, you create your own community from the people around you and you elevate their voices and give them a chance to inform each other and help each other and kind of bring everyone up at the same time. And I think that's one of the really strong things that happened kind of as a side effect of your project is we all got to hear how each other spoke about our work you know, and it's kind of this, like, you know, I learned how to give a good presentation. It took me a while, but you know, after watching so many and it also made me feel like, oh yeah, we're all of our voices are important. It's not just the person showing at the big gallery or whatever, you know, I'm so glad that you, yeah, I'm so glad that you
1: brought that up because I do feel like those are two different ways of functioning and one's no better than the other, but, um, I feel like the salon is certainly more comfortable for me, you know, right. like Very cozy. um, yeah. And I think there is, I think, you know, shows came out of the painting salon, you know, just by artists getting together. And there were people who, you know, were curating and had their own project spaces and people who, you know, went
0: on to have their own galleries, um, yeah. And then Uh, people who are now showing at a blue chip gallery, working at a blue chip gallery. We're about 10 years out from that. And people people have definitely, yeah, people's
1: careers have taken off and blossomed. And um, I think it's...
0: It's been nice to know people in that context, I think. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, and I think it's always so much, you know, as an artist who's 10 years out of grad school, it's so nice to be able to, have genuine friendships with people who are at a different point in their career and mm-hmm. have that be genuine when you're asking them for a reference or a, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Advice what, about something. Yeah. Advice or, or whatever yeah. it is and have them, yeah. And have that come from a place of actual friendship than just kind of being like.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. And I think there is something too, back to the idea of lifting people up. It's you're creating a scene And I feel like you know collectors, writers, whatever, really respond to this collective energy. And by giving people a platform, whether it's through an artist-run space or a lecture series, you're creating a community that I think people become attracted to. And then you know maybe more established spaces will be like, oh, we see that person working in this incubation period. with these other people, and but I think that's more attractive than is than if everyone were kind of working on their own and not oh, absolutely it creates you know, energy I feel like they say that about the punk show the first punk show went home and created 10 different bands I feel like you know after a year of the painting salon there were like 10 new artists spaces you know art, yeah. artist run spaces or yeah wow that's
1: yeah that's cool to I mean it did feel like a really just exciting. like a
0: punk show yeah in it, the
1: it room. was kind of punk yeah I mean it did like thinking back it it's, you know, it's hard to know, like, it feels like that was kind of like an exciting time and it doesn't, I don't know if it was just because I was right out of grad school. So it felt like there were a lot of opportunities and things popping up or if objectively it was so. I think there
0: were, it was kind of before it really became prohibitively expensive, yeah. you know, where there were spaces and more accessible housing. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, yeah, it kind of just kept dropping off yeah. and then people started moving away. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like there was a critical mass. I've said this before on a different podcast, but 2016, you know, MSP opened, Yeah, there were all these artists run spaces. There was, you it know, so, the wildest yeah. little big Laura Owens show, the SF MoMA reopened, there was all this promise. And then yeah. it just, the city itself couldn't sustain the people who wanted to be cultural producers in the way that, you know, every tier of cultural production versus someone who finds a gallery and is able to maintain through that or, yeah. But we don't yeah. have to go into that sad story. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about San Francisco. Yeah. I realized maybe we didn't. Yeah, we're in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Where you are. Um, well, cool. So I wanted to switch gears. Um, Art Forum sent out this newsletter with... They, they've been doing this. I don't know how long they've been doing this, but they release an article from their archives and then make it available online for about seven days. And this week, um, the one that they featured was called The Loser Thing by Rhonda Lieberman on The Art of Failure. Yeah. And it was written in 1993. And it was all about how artists at the time were turning away from the idea of the masterpiece. They are no longer even interested in making that As an artist, and they're now seeking to reflect the crumbling society around them. Um, She wrote, exploring the richness of student loan debt, credit card debt, masturbation, bloated ambition and enforced downward mobility as a substantive fiber of their work, which I'm like, this could have literally been written in my diary this morning, you know, but (laughs) yeah. And then add to that climate crisis and, you know, PTSD from COVID. So, yeah, (laughs) I would suggest, but then, yeah, pandemic. Yeah, and, you know, various other things. But so, um, I guess I wanted to bring up the idea, not only your thoughts on the article, if you have any, but the idea of the word masterpiece, which I never really felt like connected to my work. It was never a goal. It never felt like a word that I really understood. It wasn't for me, you know? Um, And it felt so subjective. Like, it only applied to certain people. And, you know, I just never connected with it as a word. And I don't know if that's because we grew up in the 90s when that whole era was about the loser, you know, Beck and Nirvana and, you know, accepting of the the failure as something to elevate Um, but is that just me or did you feel like you had a different take on that? I feel similar
1: in that I never really connected with the word masterpiece but I guess I feel like I always really connected with the idea of making ambitious paintings Mm. never really also never really connected with the idea or the aesthetic of provisional painting either.
0: Mm. Yeah. Right. Because in our talk before the talk, we yeah. were, I was like seeing things that came out of this yeah. loser low art movement, which you could argue it was you know the unmonumental show at the New Museum, provisional painting. Um. You know the current trend in work that's really about the everyday. Yeah. And just kind of people sitting around or referencing. You know, in this article, they talk a lot about pop culture. Yeah. I think that has been so far removed from because it's transformed so much by social media. But yeah, this idea that celebrities and pop cultural, you know, entities are really showing their failures or their, you know, but I think now we just see it as just real. Like, yeah. It's not it's even just... a failure anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah. I guess that's where the, the article felt dated to me was just yeah. that, that social media has transformed the way that we see each other and celebrity and everything so much that
0: yeah I guess the idea of failure isn't even we're swimming in it yeah so it's hard to see it
1: yeah it doesn't feel like novel to
0: point a finger at it anymore or make a big show about it in that way
1: where it might have in the 90s
0: yeah no that makes sense um yeah and I think the word failure has now taken on different subtext it's more about like being critical of the the structure rather than not living up to something you know yeah it's, it's or just making it like critical. yeah or
1: making it very like, personal and self-reflective in a way
0: yeah like self-care comes up when i'm yeah. thinking about it you know this idea and yeah. the nap ministry have you heard about that no I mean, I feel um, like I've heard a bit, but I don't know what it is. They're, they're on Instagram, but I think they've just written a book and it, they kind of, based on Instagram, they always post images or videos of, you know, high profile figures saying, I'm going to step back from work and take a nap. Uh-huh. The idea of stepping back from extreme success or whatever in order to just get more downtime. And yeah. you know, I think Brene Brown talked about that a lot with her yeah. shame work. Yeah. So I feel like we've, in some ways... Come a long way for the good because, yeah, the fa- word failure isn't even really part of the conversation anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Other uh, than systems failing us, not were failures. Whereas I think maybe the 90s people were. Yeah. Failures. Yeah. No, I think I, yes, absolutely. But I do think, you know,
1: you mentioned before all those art movements that came out of that, that became a very sort of um, the aesthetic sort of seeped
0: into visual culture in in a way Um, yeah I think provisional painting was all about kind of is it done is it not done kind of right you didn't have to finish something in a way that was like you knew that it was done yeah that it was finished in a more traditional material sense
1: yeah and and I guess for me like as a painter in the studio that just makes work like that because there's always the moment where you know you make something you're like oh it looks so beautiful as it is now maybe I shouldn't touch it but that also feels really boring to me <laughs> you know it's well then what is there to do in right. lady? the
0: effortlessness yeah I mean me, kind of yeah
1: I guess for yeah. me part of the fun and or not even fun the interesting part is pushing it and the struggle and yeah. the not struggle, that feels like, but the turmoil and all of the sort of unknowing that comes up over the course of making a painting is really, it's, it's really interesting. And for me, that's where the root. Re- that's yeah. kind of what drives me to the studio.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it was, because I'm trying to remember the context of what it came out of, and there was a period before that that was really heavy until you know Photoshop was really new, so things were being really yeah. stylized and yeah. overworked, or not overworked yes. but really rendered. And so yeah. I wonder if the pendulum swung and we had zombie abstraction and then provisional painting on the other end as a refusal yeah. to get so into this like digitized looking painting. Um, yeah, maybe, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I think if that is your practice great that yeah yeah. Yeah. for me that isn't necessarily enough either yeah I I don't know
1: I mean and it's not to say I don't like those paintings because there's plenty that like yes a lot of those paintings I like I find other people interesting yeah yeah Um, just for me as a way to make work I need (laughs) I need more um yeah I need more at the
0: I, I like really just work in a painting. And do you feel like trying to connect this back to your work that is somewhat influenced by motherhood and like, I don't know if you would say that the the rectangle of a canvas failed you during your your experience as a mother, but there is something lacking in that it did not reflect your lived experience of transforming. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm just thinking there is something about this idea of reflecting the failure of systems in work that is still kind of carried through. And I feel like you're shifting of the, and you know, some artists call it queering or, you know, there's a lot of ways to approach that, but um, I do feel like you kind of deconstructed the tradition of the rectangle and dismantled it a little by going into this shape canvas to reflect your personal female mom experience yeah
1: yeah I mean
0: not to put you thank you no thank you
1: (laughs) I'll, I'll take that I mean I think I think also just for me to kind of further that I think the way that I think about layering a painting is—it's kind of amazing that you can continuously like change everything while building on what's already there. Um, yeah, and that you could kind of embrace all the failures, and you know, it's at the same
0: time you could say "fuck it" and still work with it. Mm-hmm. The same way. Um, yeah, yeah, they're just paintings. I think that's one of the cool things about paintings—is they're just paintings and. You can wipe them out. You can paint yeah. over them. You can cut them out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did your work connect to time at all? How do you relate in terms of layering? Does that connect to the time? I know that that can be a language for some artists. The the layering and the time they put in. And-
1: um. Yeah. Not. I wouldn't say time specifically, but they are very layered and I think about them more in terms of layers than I do in terms of time Mm. and that every sort of past layer is important to the overall structure of the piece. And there's really, once I get to the end result, there's nothing that could have really been removed and for it still to work. So it's kind of it needed all of that, all of the past layers or the past time to have existed in order for this thing to exist.
0: I see what you mean. And because you yeah. kind of will show marks by covering yeah. that with them, but maybe not fully or so. Little yeah, and that like so would kind of like gotten
1: to the place that I was without all of yeah. the other layers that it's somehow the image created itself through the process of making it. And if mm-hmm. I hadn't gone through that process, I wouldn't have landed up with that image,
0: yeah. and you want yeah. you want to show that. there's no yeah. like concealing yeah. the effort where yeah, some
1: I mean, just, and I think sometimes it shows more than others. I think, in some ways, I show less of the underlayers than I used to. Mm. Uh, I think that used to be more important to me to kind of show past layers. And now I'm more selective. It started to feel more yeah. like I was being too precious about mm. past layers. And now it's more like they're there and they're part of it, whether you see it or not. And maybe it's more subtle, like the texture of the piece, or it's just, I know that they're there and they are.
0: Yeah, that is always a mystery. Like when you see someone's painting and it's got all this heavy brushwork, but then it's been painted over and you're just like, what was that? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's- What what were you doing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's one of the things that happens because on the screen, my paintings look kind of really flat and crisp in person. There's actually like kind of a lot of painted over brushwork and a lot of texture and they're a little gunkier. Then I think people- expect Expect. and I like that push and pull when you
0: don't tape off your edges right no I don't tape off my edges so they do have kind of like a a, just which I feel like that's a real camp you're either on the tape side or you're not and I've kind of been in both camps before and I just think you know and actually like Joanne Greenbaum I had her at SFAI for like an intensive yeah she's not going on about this type of thing and she goes they're just marks you choose they're just marks you can use them in whatever way you want but just know the language and what you're saying through them yeah but there's no yes or no or good or bad you know yeah and you could change your mind and yeah she do it you know tape or not in the middle of the painting if you want yeah exactly
1: but i i don't tape at the moment
0: nor have I ever, but I was going to say that I feel like you're a pretty firm (laughs) (laughs) anti-taper. Well, um, maybe talk a little bit about you're going to be showing with Denny gallery in New York. Um, maybe talk about that process of connecting with them and then what the work is for the show. Yeah. I, so I have an upcoming show at Denny
1: and I'm very excited about it. I met them in 2000 and, I think two thousand and sixteen, the first year that untitled came to San francisco um, the one of the in the moment of in the moment of process, in, the moment of promise in san francisco um yeah, and I just was looking at their booth and I think just asking some questions about the work and um, the director at the time who was at the um who was at the booth, we started talking, and I mentioned that I was at the Minnesota street project studios and he asked if I would be interested in a studio visit because he had been here hear, hearing about Minnesota Street Project and wanted to check it out. So yeah, I was like, yeah, sure. Although I've never really heard of galleries wanting to do studio visits when they're there at a fair. But anyways, lay, Oh, like, they totally the, do that. Yeah. but really, I-, I feel like people are always like, oh, I'm so busy with crazy fair stuff. But maybe, yeah. Anyways, so we ended up doing a studio visit and it went, it went really well. And we were sort of in contact and they ended up taking a few paintings of mine on consignment. I sent them out afterwards. Then that was kind of that. (laughs) Um, and like, I tried to keep the relationship warm over, you know, over the years.
0: And how do you do that? How did you do that? If you don't mind sharing? Yeah. Um, how does one keep a, it's a good question. <laughs> Long distance gallery guess.
1: relationship. Warm. When, if I had a show in San Francisco, just sending the installation images of my show, just sending a nice email being, oh, I have this show. i would love to share these images with you. Uh, hope you enjoy showing them images without asking for anything. Um, if I was in New York saying I was planning to stop by the gallery and seeing if they would be around just to say hi. Um once zoom sort of started happening at one point i was like i have a new body of work would love to you know do a zoom studio visit if that's something you're interested in and um it never really worked out but yeah and then randomly a few like a month or so ago elizabeth who's the um the owner and the director now the gallery asked me for a zoom studio visit and Amazing. it felt like really out of the blue and we had a studio visit and it went, it went really well. And, but wasn't, was nothing conclusive. And then I was kind of like, Oh, I, you know, maybe it will be another six years until totally you're like, bye forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then she called me a few days later and was like, well, I was going to schedule you for, you know, wanted to talk about scheduling you for a show a year out, but there was an artist who um, whose work wasn't ready for the, for the show, would you be interested in doing a show in um, what was then seven weeks?
0: Wow. Yeah. And were you pretty much ready? Did you have enough work? Yeah. So I pretty much, I did have the work. And so I think that's a really good lesson is having that available archive of work ready to go you know, like for I kind
1: of feel like I've used this line before I'm always ready for a solo show and I almost feel like it's my sleazy pickup line oh, like hey I love that <laughs> it almost feels gross I can't use it anymore but it has actually served me well yeah. several times in my life um not necessarily that line but like well, having the, a body yeah, of work yeah. ready rather than the idea of a show, but being like, look, I have
0: 10 paintings here. Yeah. Um, and they're done. No, I think that's a great rule of thumb of enough work. And, you know, if you sold out your entire studio and just continued to do so, then kudos to you for sure. Yeah. Like, I do think there's something too about preserving your work even if you do have that demand in anticipation that something might come up or yeah totally and
1: it was amazing that there was this opportunity to make the body of work for but I also really kind of firmly believe in just or for me just making the work whether or not I have something that's on the horizon because I also feel like when I'm really excited about the work that's going on in my studio, that's when I'm going to be reaching out to people. And that's when I'm going to try and make things happen. And that's when I'm going to be presenting my work.
0: And it goes back month. to like not chasing. Yeah. You're creating that energy for yourself. And you're just yeah. inviting people in instead of this. I don't even have the work, but someone give me validation. You know? Yeah,
1: totally. I, it feels much better to me to be like, yeah, I have a kick-ass body of like, paintings in my studio. want to come check them out. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, you need me as much as I need you. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it was funny when Elizabeth called me to offer me the show, I was just kind of, but there's not, I was trying to do the math in my mind. And there's not enough time for me to make new work and for it to dry and ship it out. And what do you, does she not understand? I was like, how oh, that, like you showed me in your studio. That looked great. Let's do the show with that, which was like, okay. And I had always kind of imagined making, a, for my first show in New York, making a body of work uh, specific for that gallery or specific for that space, whatever it was. but. So at first I was a little bit nervous that it hadn't necessarily been made for that space. But then when I kind of sat with it a little bit, I was like, oh, these works actually like, I mean, of course they were all made in conversation with one another
0: and yeah. really, they, I mean, it was a show. So it's- yeah, I love that. Um, I think there is the impetus to always make the new thing, you know, yeah. when you're given a new opportunity or just. The shiny new object syndrome. The yeah, is the best, but yeah, I think that was the universe being like, take a load off. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're good enough.
1: I think so. Um, yeah, and it was just kind of like the work that you have now deserves to be seen and needs to be seen, and yeah. you'll make new work that will be seen too. But this work right now is it just kind of all kind of converged. And when does the show open? It opens um, the 31st, so next Friday, and it'll be up through May 6th. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. There's the opening on Friday, and then I'll be doing walkthroughs that Saturday. Oh, cool. um, That following Saturday, and then maybe that Tuesday as well, too, because I'll be in New York through Tuesday.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. This was so wonderful.
1: This is the first podcast I've ever done.
0: Oh, really? Oh, my God. Amazing. Well, it is my honor and pleasure. It was so much fun. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.